Hello and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey. This is 47 selections from the works of Alexandra Kollontai. And today I'm going to finish reading Communist Morality and Marital Relations. This is part three of this essay. And I really think this part of the essay is kind of like the core of a lot of Alexandra Kollontai's thinking. And also in some ways, the part of her writing that is sometimes most misunderstood, particularly she's accused of being very anti-sex work or hostile to sex workers. And I want to try to address that a little bit today in reading this final section of the essay and what I think Kollontai is trying to do. But I want to first just say that I think, obviously, she uses the word prostitution. And when Kolontai was writing this in the early part of the 20th century, there really wasn't the sort of idea of, you know, women going into sex work because it's a sort of sex positive thing to do. Many women in the Soviet Union, early Soviet Union, and certainly the Russia, the, the previous regime, Tsarist regime in Russia, they were forced into prostitution out of desperate economic necessity. And as we know from earlier podcasts in this series, the new economic program also reintroduced prostitution when Lenin created markets again in the Soviet Union in order to get the economy up and running after the Civil War. There was this spike in prostitution. And it's important to know that Kolontai never made it illegal. She did not believe in persecuting the women themselves, but she saw prostitution or sex work as a fundamental part of the bourgeois morality, the, the capitalist economic system. Kolontai was a very sex positive person in the sense that she wanted people to fully inhabit their sexuality, to fully enjoy their sexuality. She thought it was something natural like hunger and thirst. She was very much aligned with Bebel on this issue, but she was very much opposed to the buying and selling of caresses in whatever form that took. And so that includes, and you'll hear in the section that I'm about to read, marriages of convenience, basically women who marry men for money. That's what she calls them, marriages of convenience. Any relationship where a woman is economically dependent on a man or where a woman trades access to her sexuality for material resources was something fundamentally wrong as far as Kolontai was concerned because it reflected the bourgeois morality of capitalism. And she truly believed that as people became more part of a larger collective society that this desire or this need to sell one's sexuality on a market where prices are determined by supply and demand would in fact uh, disappear. Now, I know a lot of people were, will disagree with this and I think that Kolontai is often criticized for being very anti-sex work. And, you know, I think there is a critique here to be considered that maybe, you know, if a woman doesn't want to work or doesn't want to be part of a collective and she just wants to get married and have somebody support her or she just wants to support herself by selling access to her sexuality, that too is a woman's choice. And I think that that choice assumes that these women actually have the agency to make that choice. And when you read Kolontai in 2019, it's very important not to read her anachronistically. Most of the peasant women or the factory workers that she's talking about who are forced into prostitution in the early Soviet Union 
are not really operating with a lot of individual agency. They are basically trying to feed themselves and survive. So, you know, I guess you could say if we could think about a counterfactual world in which these women were truly independent agents and made choices based on their own preferences and inclinations to involve themselves in sex work, then I don't think Kolontai would actually have a problem with what they were doing. Maybe she would. I'm not 100% sure. I think we can debate that. But it's definitely the case that if a woman feels compelled to do this because she doesn't have other opportunities for employment or other ways of supporting herself because there's not a social safety net, for instance, as Kolontai hoped there would be, then she would be very much opposed on the grounds that it ruins what she thinks of as true love or true affection, which is freed from all material considerations. All right, so this is part three. As regards sexual relations, communist morality demands, first of all, an end to all relations based on financial or other economic considerations. The buying and selling of caresses destroys the sense of equality between the sexes and thus undermines the basis of solidarity without which communist society cannot exist. Moral censure is consequently directed at prostitution in all its forms and at all types of marriage of convenience, even when recognized by Soviet law. The preservation of marriage regulations creates the illusion that the workers' collective can accept the couple with its special exclusive interests. The stronger the ties between the members of the collective as a whole, the less the need to reinforce marital relations. Secondly, communist morality demands the education of the younger generation in responsibility to the collective and in the consciousness that love is not the only thing in life. This is especially important in the case of women, for they have been taught the opposite for centuries. Love is only one aspect of life and must not be allowed to overshadow the other facets of the relationship between individual and collective. The ideal of the bourgeoisie was the married couple, where the partners complemented each other so completely that they had no need of contact with society. Communist morality demands, on the contrary, that the younger generation be educated in such a way that the personality of the individual is developed to the full and the individual with his or her many interests has contact with a range of persons of both sexes. Communist morality encourages the development of many and varied bonds of love and friendship among people. The old ideal was all for the loved ones. Communist morality demands all for the collective. Though sex love is seen in the context of the interests of the collective, Communist morality demands that people are educated in sensitivity and understanding and are psychologically demanding both to themselves and to their partners. The bourgeois attitude to sex relations as simply a matter of sex must be criticized and replaced by an understanding of the whole gamut of joyful love experience that enriches life and makes for greater happiness. The greater the intellectual and emotional development of the individual, the less place there will be in his or her relationship for the bare physiological side of love, and the brighter will be the love experience. In the transitional period, 
relations between men and women must, in order to meet the interest of the workers' collective, be based on the following considerations. One, all sexual relationships must be based on mutual inclination, love, infatuation, or passion, and in no case on financial or material motivations. All calculation in relationships must be subject to merciless condemnation. Two, the form and length of the relationship are not regulated, but the hygiene of the race and communist morality require that relationships be based not on the sexual act alone and that it should not be accompanied by any excesses that threaten health. Three, those with illnesses, etc., that might be inherited should not have children. Four, a jealous and proprietary attitude to the person loved must be replaced by a comradely understanding of the other and an acceptance of his or her freedom. Jealousy is a destructive force which communist morality cannot approve. Five, the bonds between the members of the collective must be strengthened. The encouragement of the intellectual and the political interests of the younger generation assists the development of healthy and bright emotions in love. The stronger the collective, the more firmly established becomes the communist way of life. The closer the emotional ties between the members of the community, the less the need to seek a refuge from loneliness in marriage. Under communism, the blind strength of all matter is subjugated to the will of the strongly welded and thus unprecedentedly powerful workers' collective. The individual has the opportunity to develop intellectually and emotionally as never before. In this new collective, new forms of relationships are maturing and the concept of love is extended and expanded. So there's a couple of parts in this last bit of this essay, which I think can be read quite critically. So in the first place, there's this condemnation of the buying and selling of caresses, all economic considerations. And here it's pretty clear that Kolontai believes that any form of sex work will undermine the equality of the sexes. She doesn't believe in criminalizing it, and indeed she never does, but she does want to make sure that women have opportunities for independence, and she sees sex work as something that undermines the possibility that men and women will be considered equals in society. The second thing that she talks about here, which I think is kind of controversial, is about hygiene. And she is sort of against promiscuity, sort of random meaningless sex, what we might think of as just sort of hookup scenes because of things like syphilis and gonorrhea, which were quite prevalent at this time in the early Soviet Union, and they didn't quite have the way to treat those diseases. They were they led to infertility and were considered kind of, uh, you know, something to be to be controlled. But the thing that I think is probably the most controversial here is that people with heritable diseases should not have children. And she really is sort of talking about eugenics here. I don't think there's any way to mince words on that. Kolontai is thinking about the collective and she's thinking about the community and the responsibility of the state to care for everyone. And I think she believes that people who may have diseases that are debilitating to their children, if they reproduce anyway, despite knowing that these diseases or conditions can be so detrimental to the child, that it's actually a very selfish thing for the, the person to do. 
Um, but there's definitely no doubt here that Kolontai is dabbling in a eugenicist narrative, which was fairly common at the time. So I think that this essay, again, it has been read by many people controversially, and I think it does show the limits of applying Kolontai to our time. The fact that, you know, she is sort of talking about eugenics. I think a lot of people today believe that, you know, um, they're, this sort of discourse of, of, of controlling for the quality of the population is, is really kind of anathema to a, a modern sensibility. And certainly it's just not something that we consider a, a really reasonable thing to have a discussion about. And I also think that, you know, obviously we have medication for things like sexual tra sexually transmitted diseases. And we also have abundance of, of safe sex uh, literature and knowledge and condoms and, you know, various ways that we can protect ourselves, which they also did not have readily available in the 20s in the Soviet Union. And so therefore, some of her concerns about quote unquote hygiene are less well-founded. Although I think it is important here, again, to point out that Kolontai is often read as being a advocate of free love, uh, or she's accused of promoting promiscuity. And in fact, in this section of the essay, she's She's actually saying the opposite, like it should, we should not just be having random sex. We should really think about having relationships that are emotional and intellectual and then have sex with the people that we really like and that we're attracted to. As she says, it, it, she includes, interestingly, infatuation and passion as legitimate reasons to fall in love and have sex with somebody. And the other thing that she does, which I think is pretty radical for this time, is she says, look, it doesn't matter how long you're together. You can only be together for a week or two. It doesn't matter to me. As long as you genuinely really like each other for the period of time that you're together, that's all that matters, that it's not about a material consideration. But I'm aware that some people take issue with Colin Tai, and that certainly if you read her out of the context of her time, the fact that she does address issues of sex work in a way that we would consider not really modern or certainly not politically correct. And the fact, I mean, I think more importantly from my perspective is her somewhat eugenicist point of view. Although it's very subtle in her writing, she doesn't go on about it at length. It is definitely there. And again, it reflects a kind of uh, zeitgeist of the time. But the big thing that I take away from this essay and that I think is really important when we're reading Kolontai is that this is a kind of a precursor. So it's a way of, of thinking about the, the ideas that she develops and make way for winged eros. And this is the idea that our ideal notion of love, our kind of idealistic framing of especially romantic love is in of itself a product of economic relations. So this is a classic sort of Marxist reductionist take where everything is sort of related to the relations of production on the ground. All of this ideological superstructure reflects the interest of the owners of the means of production. And you may take issue with the economic reductionism, but I do think there's this really interesting question about how relationships change when our basic needs are being met by a wider social safety net and when we as a society value our friendships and our collectivity, the communities and societies that we live in, as much as we value our intimate romantic relationships with our partners. This is the really key question that I think we have to grapple with. And I think that Kolontai gives us a roadmap, gives us some language to understand this question, despite 
you know, some of the more problematic aspects of her essays. And I do want to recognize that there's definitely some problematic language in there, given that she's writing this in 1921 in the Soviet Union. But this key idea of how relationships can change to be more collective so that our friendships and our relationships to the wider society take greater precedence over our individual romantic you know, connections with others is a really interesting question. And it's a question I would like to delve further into in the podcast as we move forward. Thank you so much for listening and keep up the good fight. Oh,